We're in Romans chapter number four today, and we're continuing to look at Paul's argument, closing the end of chapter four, and uh, I invite you to look with me, beginning with verse number 22. So if you have your copy of God's word, today we're talking about God's accounting and our salvation. And so look with me to Romans chapter four, beginning with verse 22, therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Amen. This morning, as we look into this passage of scripture, Paul's argument, remember, is that salvation being made right with God is God's work in making us just or making us right with God. We cannot justify ourselves. We can't work or earn our way into a right relationship with God. In chapter number three, verse 21, Paul's been arguing, apart from the law, it's not the law that does it. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law, witnessed by the law and the prophets. This is the righteousness of God that's through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, there's no distinction. The reason there's no distinction is because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen. There's none of us righteous, right? And they are justified freely by his grace to the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. And God presented him as the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation, the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his restraint, God passed over sins previously committed. And God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul's whole argument is righteousness of God has been revealed. This is attested by the laws and the prophets and it's pointed to Jesus Christ. It's through faith in Jesus, the Messiah. To all who believe without distinction that this righteousness is revealed and that we cannot justify ourselves, but we have been saved by grace through faith in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ and the atoning death of Jesus Christ and we are saved by his stripes, by his suffering, by his atoning death, his blood. And we are right and we are declared right only when we have faith in Jesus alone as our Savior. There's therefore no boasting. It's in faith alone. There's no distinction between Jen and Gentile and Jew. And this is not contrary to the law. 
given by Moses because the law can only expose our sinfulness. The law cannot save us from our sin. Then in chapter 4, he uses Abraham as the prime example who believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Then he uses David, King David, as an example who had no righteousness but only had miserably failed and found God's forgiveness and righteousness. And then Abraham was made righteous before circumcision. And circumcision isn't what makes us right with God. And the promises were given and his descendants to Abraham. And it's through faith in God. Abraham hoped against hope, against all natural ideas as he reasoned and considered his body to be dead. He believed what God promised and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that's an example for all of us. So today's text is a focus on one of Paul's favorite words. In the fourth chapter, he uses this word again and again, credited, reckoned, imputed. This is, this is the language of commerce and it's legal language. So in the fourth chapter, He's using the word again and again, credited. He uses it in verse 22, verse 23, verse 24. And so it is, it is a banking term, and it's a legal term, and it's an accounting term. Have you ever had a mistake at the bank? You ever made a mistake in your own checking book? You ever made a mistake on how much money you've got in your account? Well, we don't have to raise hand and confess. <laughs> Ruth Balloon is a, a woman, a, a husband and wife that live in North Texas near Frisco. They're actually, uh, Ruth is a Canadian citizen, uh, originally uh, from Canada, but now they live in North Texas. And they bank at Legacy Texas Bank. And there was an accounting error that took place in Ruth Balloon's account. And one day she was checking her account and when she looked at her account on her phone, she was a multimillionaire for a day. She works at Roma Boots. She's just a clerk. Hardworking. But on that day, when she checked her account, she had $37 million in her checking account. She texts her husband, and she says, have you checked the bank account? He thought he was in trouble. He said, no, why? We've got a huge balance, $37 million. What? <laughs> Well, they called the bank rep, and the bank rep had made a mistake. What happened was she was early in the week attempting to transfer $1,300 Canadian into American money, and that had to be done by hand manually, and the man had put the account number in as a deposit and she had $37 million in the bank 
for just 24 hours. She said, well, we're back to reality, but for a moment, I was a multimillionaire. Hmm. You've been given greater, something greater than multi-millions. Amen. And notice with me in verse, chapter 4, verse number 22. It says, therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Notice the word credited here means to reckon, to account, to impute. First of all, there's an act of crediting. Who does the crediting to righteousness? Who credits and to whom is the credit given? The authority of giving the credit is God alone. Only God can do this work. It was credited to him for righteousness. Now it was credited to him. That means there was somebody in authority who could do the crediting. It's a commercial term. It's a commercial term that's used by Paul to talk about man's moral and spiritual needs. That we need help. What the problem is that we're all bankrupt. All of us have sinned and come short of his glory. Haven't we all sinned and failed and fallen short of God's glory? And there's none righteous, no, not one. And all, everyone has turned to his own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. And all of us need a savior. And that's Paul's argument. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Gentile, a pagan worshiper, an idolater, or a Jew, or a, a, a law keeper. You are bankrupt and you have no ability to save yourself. Amen. And this is Paul's whole argument in chapter number three. Notice verse number 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. It's because we are all locked up, sealed up under sin for no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. The law can't save you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you're spiritually bankrupt. There's no room for boasting, no room for pride, and you can't earn or work your way into a right relationship with God. Amen. You're not good enough to get to heaven. Tell your neighbor, you're not good enough to get to heaven. You're not. You're certainly not pretty enough to get to heaven. There's no room for pride or boasting. Now, just imagine that you go to your spiritual ATM account and you take your spiritual card and you put it in your ATM account and you put your code so they know it's you and you look at the screen on your ATM account and all you see, maybe you go online, you look at your account and all of you, all you see are debits but there's no credits. And when you look at it, you realize that you are bankrupt. And when you think about all the good things you've ever done, you thought was a credit. But when it shows up in the account, it's a debit. Because even the good works you do are not good works. So all you have is a drain, an emptiness, you see, the Bible says, all my righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. See, there's nothing in my hand I can bring. 
There is nothing I can do to make myself more in a more right relationship with God. And only God himself can change your account status. And he's the one that has to do the accounting change. And you cannot do it yourself. What's the basis of this? You see, the basis, the act is the crediting that God only does. The basis is on faith. It's God's work. We respond to God's love and we respond to the gospel in faith. But it's only God that does the work in our lives. In chapter 4, verse number 9, is this blessing only for the circumcised then or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In chapter 4, verse number 16, it says this is why the promise is by faith so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all of the descendants. Not only those who are of the law, but the one who's of Abraham's faith. He's the father of us all. You see, it's trusting and believing in God. It's reliance upon him. It's faith in God alone and his work in Jesus Christ. You are not saved by your works or law keeping. It's the work of God. We believe God above all facts. We believe him above all voices. We believe God and it's credited as righteousness. Galatians chapter number three, verse number six and seven. Galatians three, verse six and seven. Listen to the scripture. But just like Abraham who believed God, it was credited to him for righteousness. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. What is the substance? The substance is righteousness. It's righteousness. And this is given by God. We don't earn it nor deserve it. It's righteousness. It's credit to us. To us. In chapter 3, verse number 21, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ, to whom, to all who believe, there's no distinction. You see, how am I made right with God? It is, it is not by my works. It's his work of grace in me. God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our part that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It is God's work in him. So when you go to that ATM balance, when you look online and your spiritual account and you see where those, you see all of those debits are removed and instead you see a credit and the credit is righteousness, which is imputed to us. And it's no error because the righteousness is accomplished through Jesus Christ alone. And we have nothing to bring it's all the work of God for us. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Now, secondly, notice the recipients. In verse number 23 and 
24 again. It says, not to Abraham alone. No, but it's also for us. This is what a glorious statement Paul makes right here. I just, he says, he says, his credit to him was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. I love that. That's, I, need, I just need that, but also for us. I just want to write the words hallelujah in my Bible right there. It's credit to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. Wow. It is, it is written for us. It's been credited to us, all who believe that we believe in God who raised Jesus from the dead. Notice what he says in verse number 24. He credited to us who believe in him. Believe in whom? In him, that's God. Who? God the Father. Who, what did he do? He raised Jesus, the man Jesus. Now, don't notice you would expect the words Christ, but no. Instead, he says, our Lord from the dead. Why does he say Lord. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, lit dead and he is Lord. Amen. His resurrection proves his lordship. And he has the power to save our lives. Hallelujah. It is for us. Galatians 3.9 says, So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer or believing Abraham. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Amen. Jesus himself said, you believe in God, believe also in me. He goes on to say, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Listen to me. There are not many ways, but there's only one way to a right relationship with God, and that's in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. And some of you may object. You're already wanting to object. Yeah, but there's got to be more than just one way to God. Look at all these different religions. They're all trying to get us to the same place. You know, everybody's got to just find their own path. Well, you're going to find the path that goes to hell without Jesus Christ. You may want to object. Yeah, but there's got to be many ways. Just think about it. There's many different ways we can get to Chicago. We don't have to just go up the Interstate 55 to get to Chicago. There's many ways to Chicago. Can't there be many ways to heaven? Well, here's the problem with that. We're not going to Chicago. We're going to heaven. And there's only one way. And somebody said, praise the Lord. And there's only one way. And that's in Jesus Christ alone. There's no other name. Given among men whereby we must be saved. There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof leads to death. I'm telling you, my friends, there's no other way, there's no other name whereby we must be saved. It's in Jesus. If there are many ways, then 
Christ died needlessly. I beg you this morning, give your life to Christ. Understand that he died for you. Understand that God loves you. Understand that your righteous acts are nothing but filthy rags and you can't save yourself and you're lost without a savior. And it's arrogant and prideful to think that you can somehow get your own self into heaven. And you cannot. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not that my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died at Calvary. Mercy, there was great and grace was free. Pardon, there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty. At Calvary, by God's word at last, my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. And mercy was great and grace was free. Pardon, there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. There's no hope save in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Thirdly, who is the reckoner? That's God himself. It's in him that we find our righteousness. It's trusting in him, believing in him. He's the one that does the work in our hearts and in our lives. Verse number 24 says, but also for us, it will be credited to us who believe in him. You must put your faith in him. You've got to believe in him. This is in God. It's not just having faith that saves you. It's faith in someone. And that faith is in God and his son, Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, verse number 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed whom? God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Our righteousness is found in him alone. Chapter 3, verse 26 says, God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time that he would be just and justifier of the one who has faith in whom? In Jesus. There's only salvation found in him. Verse number 30 says, there's one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. God has provided one way, and that one way is in Jesus Christ alone. And this was God's initiative. It was God's plan. God demonstrated his own love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And he raised Jesus our Lord. And our hope is found in him. 
In chapter number four, verse number 24 and 25, we talk about this record, this proof, this demonstration of God's justification and salvation of us. It says in verse 24, it will be credit to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. And now verse number 25 is one of the most succinct. It is the gospel in a verse. It's the most succinct statement of faith. Some believe that it might have been an early confessional in the church. Verse 24. 25, I mean. He was delivered up for our what? Let's say it out loud. Let's, let's read this verse together. For he was delivered up for our and raised for our. He was delivered up. Let's say it again. He was and raised for. He was delivered up for what? Whose trespasses? And raised for our justification. I think we need to park here for a minute. He was delivered up. It's an interesting word. It says, he was delivered up. The word delivered up carries the idea of apprehended, arrested, to be brought to authorities. So you're apprehended in order to be brought to an authority or to a judgment. He was delivered up. He was given over. It's used uh, concerning, it's used in different ways, and we're going to look at that for a moment. We find this verb, it's found in re reference to Judas. And Judas delivered Jesus up, handed him over to the Pharisees and Sadducees, Right? And then the council, when they arrested Jesus, and then they questioned him, the Sanhedrin, then the next morning they delivered him up to whom? Pilate. And Pilate ultimately delivers him up to whom? The soldiers. And the soldiers then crucify him on a cross. Peter, in preaching in Acts, said that you delivered him up, you handed him over, and you're accountable, he says to the Jews. He said, you did something criminally wrong. You delivered him up. And while that's true, that's not the end of the story. If you look with me to the eighth chapter, this same word is used. It says, now notice in, in the text that we're looking at today, verse 25, he was delivered up. Who delivered him up? That's the question. In chapter number eight, in verse number 32.
he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up or delivered, it's the same word, delivered him up for us all. Who delivered him up? Well, in one sense, Judas delivered him up. In one sense, the Sanhedrin delivered him up. In one sense, Pilate delivered him up. In one sense, the Jews, by rejecting him, delivered him up by their hatefulness. But in a whole nother sense, God was in control the whole time and he delivered him up. God gave him up. Listen, you know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent the father God demonstrated his own love for us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But not only do we think of it like that, but think about Christ himself delivered himself up. In the book of Hebrews, chapter nine, verse 26, but now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages, ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. Self, he sacrifices himself for us. That's the language of sacrifice. In Galatians chapter two, verse number 20, one of my favorite texts, if I have a life text, it's that text, that verse. It says, I am crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and what's it, watch, watch, and delivered, gave himself up for me. Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross. Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I willingly laid it down. And if I have authority to lay it down, I have authority to raise it back up again. Jesus was not just a victim, Jesus died, but he laid down his life for you. And then he says, because of our trespasses. The little word for has been debated some, what does that mean? But I think it means here because of our trespasses. I think it has a causal idea there. He is the substitute for our sin. Jesus died for because of our sins. King James Version has it right. It's because of our sins. It's your sins and my sins is why Jesus went to the cross to die. He was paying for them in full. There's a Bible character that's found in the Gospels. And the Bible character is a man by the name of Barsabbas. Does anybody remember that character? Barsabbas was a character that's in the pre-crucifixion stories and trial of Jesus. He was guilty of crimes. He was a well-known criminal, an insurrectionist and deserving of death. 
And just imagine, oh, Barabbas in jail, knowing that this is the end, three strikes, he's out, he's going to be sentenced to death. And he's in his cell, and he's filled with fear, and he hears the sound of soldiers as their hobnailed shoes come down the pavement of the corridors of the jail. He wonders, are they going to take me to my end today? Every time he hears the hammer of a Roman hammer against the nails, he thinks, is this cross being constructed for me to die today? Outside of his cell, cell, he hears a commotion. The throngs of people carry on, and they hear the shouts, crucify him. And he surely thinks his end is near. And in the moment of all of that, he hears the footprints down the corridor, and he hears the keys rattling. And the keys are inserted into the jail cell. And the ga gate is opened. And the soldier says, get out. You're free. You're pardoned today. This is your lucky day. Well, he can't believe it. He stumbles outside. As he stumbles outside into the streets, he sees the commotion, the crowds jeering, the crowds cheering, and some in the crowd weeping. He lifts his eyes and comes around the corner, and he sees a bloody scene of a man who's been beaten to death by Roman scourging. Those in the crowds cursing and jeering and mocking him as he carries a cross beam. He knows where he's headed. He's headed where he should be destined to go, to a hill just outside the city called Golgotha, or the place of the skull. He follows the parade, mocking him. They mock him as a king, and they mock him as a prophet, they mock him as a savior. He wonders, who is this man? He may have asked, who is this man? And what did he do? As they strip him from his garbage garments and cast his robe aside, they thrust him onto the crossbeam and they drive the nails in his hand his feet and they hang him between two other thieves and as he looks at him perhaps we don't know the Savior looks at him and Barabbas knows that's where I belonged he was the only man that could say Jesus literally, physically, died in my place. 
But Paul clearly is saying here, he was delivered up because of our transgressions. Jesus died for me. Hallelujah. What a savior. And he was raised. He not only died, he was raised. What? Because of our justification. The proof that we are made right with God is that Jesus is not in the grave. My Savior rose again. If he is still in the grave, then there's no resurrection hope for any of us, and we are still in our sins. Look with me to 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. Those then who've fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, also in Christ all will be made alive. Jesus paid for your sins. He cried from the cross, it's finished! Paid in full! They laid his dead body in the grave. And the wages of sin is death, but death has been paid in full. And the prince of heaven without any sin or spot or blemish, the sinless one died for sinful ones so that he might bring us to God. And on Easter morning, he rose again for all the world to know that he is Lord. And he's been given a name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are saved and justified by his blood and we are raised to new life. Hallelujah. You can't separate it. It's the, res- the death and resurrection of Jesus in the saving, and the making right of us. The result of all of this is that we now have hope. We don't grieve like the rest who don't have hope. We have hope. And our hope is found in the conquering Savior, Jesus Christ, who rose again from the dead. Amen. First Corinthians chapter number 15 which we just read a moment ago. We'll look at it here just again and notice in verse number 20 and 22, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. We have hope. Yesterday I was at a funeral. Dear friend of mine, my Sunday school teacher when I was a boy, he put up with me when I was in seventh and eighth and ninth grade. 
There's a star in his crown today. He mentored me when I was a high school student. He let me hang out at his house when I was just dumb and stupid. That wasn't last week. That was when I was a teenager. He let me come over to his house and talk about the recent girlfriend that didn't like me. And he taught me to read the Bible and to pray. And he died this week, and I was at the funeral yesterday. And I knew that I knew that he was not dead, Amen. but he was with the Lord Jesus Christ. Death came through a man, but the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. And that's in Jesus. Notice in verse number 55, 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory out through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dearly brother... My dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling, abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. We have hope. We have liberty. We don't have to live a defeated life. Romans chapter 6, we're set free. Your baptism is a picture of it. Since Jesus Christ died and rose again, now we don't have to live in the slavery of sin. But we've been buried with him by baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we may walk in the newness of life. We've been united with him in the likeness of his death. We will certainly be in the likeness of his resurrection. Know this, our old self was crucified with him, that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, that we may no longer, may no longer, may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who's died is freed from sin. Listen, this is the power of resurrection life. This is what baptism points to. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ rose again. You, when you've turned to God, God has done a work by the Spirit in you. And the old Tim is dead. A new Tim lives with the Spirit of Jesus living in him. And I don't have to live enslaved any longer. Amen. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we'll live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. Verse 11 says, Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Have you been made right by God? Do you know that you're saved? I, 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 yesterday... I was at this funeral to see with my friend, but I, I met a childhood friend yesterday. He came up to me. I hadn't, seen this, I hadn't seen this man since we were boys. We played sandlot baseball together all the time. And football. And all, well, all the stuff that we did as kids. Some of it I won't tell you. Rotorbikes all over creation. 
He introduced himself to me and I said, oh my goodness. I looked at him, I said, Brett, do you go to this church? He said, no. I said, where do you go? He said, nah, that's not really for me. I said, Brett, do you know the Lord? He said, nah, I don't want to talk about that. Well, what are you going to do? What are you resting in? What are you hoping in? Suppose you were to stand before God and say, why would I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Is your faith in Jesus Christ alone? Do you know him as your savior? Are you resting in him? Is your faith in him alone? Not your circumstances, but in him. This is the whole argument that Paul's making in fourth chapter. That Abraham believed God. And it was credited him as righteousness. The Wesleys, Charles and John, wrote so many hymns. Part of that Methodist movement, and Charles in particular, gifted. Just incredibly gifted. And you can't miss the reflection on Romans 4 in this hymn by Charles Wesley. I'm going to put it on the screen so that you might read it with me. I think I'm going to put it on the screen. Yeah. You may not know this hymn, but let's learn it together. I'm not singing. Father of Jesus Christ, my Lord, my Savior, and my head, I trust in thee whose powerful word hath raised him from the dead. In hope against all human hope, self-desperate, I believe. Thy quickening word shall raise me up. Thou shalt thy spirit give. Faith, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to that alone. Laughs at the impossibilities and cries, it shall be done. That's Abraham. To thee the glory of thy power and faithfulness I give. I shall in Christ at that glad hour and Christ in me shall live. Obedient faith that waits on thee Thou never wilt reprove, but thou wilt form thy son in me and perfect me in love. We have an awesome Savior. Father in heaven, thank you for the power of your word. And the hope that we have because of Jesus Christ, your son. In his name we pray. Amen.